0: Part One, Chapter Six of A Lost Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Felicia Wang. A Lost Lady by Willa Siebert Cather. Part One, Chapter Six. It was during that winter the first one mrs forrester had ever spent in the house on the hill that neil came to know her very well for the foresters that winter was a sort of isthmus between two estates soon afterward came a change in their fortunes and for neil it was a natural turning point since in the autumn he was nineteen and in the spring he was twenty a very great difference after the Christmas festivities were over, the whist parties settled into a regular routine. Three evenings a week, Judge Pomeroy and his nephew sat down to cars with the foresters. Sometimes they went over early and dined there. Sometimes they stayed for a late supper after the last rubber neil who had been so content with a bachelor's life and who had made up his mind that he would never live in a place that was under the control of women found himself becoming attached to the comforts of a well-conducted house to the pleasures of the table to the soft chairs and soft lights and agreeable human voices at the forester's on bitter windy nights sitting in his favourite blue chair before the grate he used to wonder how he could manage to tear himself away to plunge into the outer darkness and run down the long frozen road and up the dead street of the town captain forrester was experimenting with bulbs that winter and had built a little glass conservatory on the south side of the house off the back parlor through january and february the house was full of narcissus and roman hyacinths and their heavy spring-like odor made a part of the enticing comfort of the fireside there Where Mrs. Forrester was, dullness was impossible, Neil believed. The charm of her conversation was not so much in what she said, though she was often witty, but in the quick recognition of her eyes and the living quality of her voice itself. One could talk with her about the most trivial things and go away with a high sense of elation. The secret of it, you suppose, was that she couldn't help being interested in people— even very commonplace people. If Mr. Ogden or Mr. Dalzell were not there to tell their best stories for her, that she could be amused by Ivy Peter's ruffianly manners, or the soft compliments of old man Elliot when he sold her a pair of winter shoes. She had a fascinating gift of mimicry. When she mentioned the fat ice men, or Thad Grimes at his meat block, or the Blum boys with their dead rabbits, by a subtle suggestion of their manner, she made them seem more individual and vivid than they were in their own person. She often caricatured people to their faces, and they were not offended, but greatly flattered. Nothing pleased one more than to provoke her laughter. Then you felt you were getting on with her. It was her form of commenting, of agreeing with you and appreciating you when you said something interesting, and it often told you a great deal that was both too direct and too elusive for words. Long, long afterward, when Neil did not know whether Mrs. Forster were living or dead, if her image flashed into his mind, it came with the brightness of dark eyes, her pale triangular cheeks with long earrings and her many-colored laugh. When he was dull, dull and tired of everything, he used to think that if he could hear that long-lost lady laugh again, he could be gay. The big storm of the winter came late that year, swept down over sweet water the first day of March, and beat upon the town for three days and nights. Thirty inches of snow fell, and the cutting wind blew it into whirling drifts. The foresters were snowed in. Ben Kieser, their man of all work, did not attempt to break a road or even to come over to the town himself. On the third day, Neil went to the post office, got the captain's leather mail sack with his accumulation of letters, and set off across the creek, plunging into drifts up to his middle, sometimes up to his armpits. The fences along the lane were covered, but he broke his trail by keeping between the two lines of poplars. When at last he reached the front porch, Captain Forrester came to the door and let him in. Glad to see you, my boy. Very glad. It's been a little lonesome for us. You must have had hard work getting over. I certainly appreciate it. Come to the sitting-room fire and dry yourself. We will talk quietly. Mrs. Forrester has gone upstairs to lie down. She has been complaining of a headache. Neil stood before the fire in his rubber boots, drying his trousers. The captain did not sit down, but opened the glass door into his little conservatory. I have something pretty to show you, Neil. All my hyacinths are coming along at once, every color of the rainbow. The Roman hyacinths, I say, are Mrs. Forrester's. They seem to suit her. Neil went to the door and looked with keen pleasure at the fresh, watery blossoms. I was afraid you might lose them this bitter weather, Captain. No, these things can stand a good deal of cold. They've been company for us. He stood looking out through the glass at the drifted shrubbery. "'Neil liked to see him look out over his place. "'A man's house is his castle,' his look seemed to say. "'Ben tells me the rabbits have come up to the barn to eat the hay. "'Everything green is covered up. "'I had him throw a few cabbages out for them, so they won't suffer. "'Mrs. Forrester has been on the porch every day, feeding the snowbirds.' "'He went on, as if talking to himself. "'The stair door opened.' "'and Mrs. Forrester came down in her Japanese dressing-gown, looking very pale. "'The dark shadows under her eyes seemed to mean that she had been losing sleep. "'Oh, it's Neil. How nice of you. And you've brought the mail. "'Are there any letters for me?' Three, Two from Denver and one from California. "'Her husband gave them to her. "'Did you sleep, matey? No, but I rested.' "'It's delightful up in the west room. "'The wind sings and whistles about the eaves. "'If you'll excuse me, I'll dress and glance at my letters. "'Stand closer to the fire, Neil. "'Are you very wet?' "'When she stopped beside him to feel his clothes, "'he smelled a sharp odor of spirits. "'Was she ill, he wondered, "'or merely so bored that she had been trying to dull herself? "'When she came back, she had dressed and rearranged her hair. "'Mrs. Forrester,' said the captain in a solicitous tone i believe i would like some tea and toast this afternoon like your english friends and it would be good for your head we won't offer neil anything else very well mary has gone to bed with a toothache but i will make the tea neil can make the toast here by the fire while you read your paper she was cheerful now tied one of mary's aprons about neil's neck and set him down with the toasting fork He noticed that the captain, as he read his paper, kept his eye on the sideboard with a certain watchfulness, and when his wife brought the tray with tea and no sherry, he seemed very much pleased. He drank three cups and took a second piece of toast. "'You see, Mr. Forrester,' she said lightly, "'Neil has brought back my appetite. "'I ate no lunch today,' turning to the boy. "'I've been shut up too long. "'Is there anything in the papers?' this meant was there any news concerning the people they knew the captain put on his silver-rimmed glasses again and read aloud about the doings of their friends in denver omaha and kansas city mrs forrester sat on a stool by the fire eating toast and making humorous comments upon the subjects of those solemn paragraphs the engagement of miss irma Southern smith etc at last thank god you remember her neil She's been here i think you danced with her i don't think i do what is she like she is exactly like her name don't you remember tall very animated glittering eyes like the ancient mariners neil laughed don't you like bright eyes mrs forrester not any others i don't she joined in his laugh so gaily that the captain looked out over his paper with an expression of satisfaction He let the journal slowly crumple on his knees, and sat watching the two beside the grate. To him, they seemed about the same age. It was a habit with him to think of Mrs. Forrester as very, very young. She noticed that he was not reading. Would you like me to light the lamp, Mr. Forrester? No, thank you. The twilight is very pleasant. It was twilight by now. They heard Mary come downstairs and begin stirring about the kitchen. The captain, his slippers in the zone of firelight, and his heavy shoulders in shadow, snored from time to time. As the room grew dusky, the windows were squares of clear, pale violet, and the shutters ceased to rattle. The wind was dying with the day. Everything was still, except when Bohemian Mary roughly clattered a pan. Mrs. Forrester whispered that she was out of sorts because her sweetheart, Joe Peelslick hadn't been over to see her. Sunday night was his regular night, and Sunday was the first day of the blizzard. When she is neglected, her tooth always begins to ache. Well, now that I've got over, he'll have to come, or she'll be in a temper. Oh, he'll come, Mrs. Forrester shrugged. I am blind and deaf, but I'm quite sure she makes it worth his while. After a few moments, she rose. Come, she whispered. "'Mr. Forrester is asleep. Let's run down the hill. There's no one to stop us. I'll slip on my rubber boots.' "'No objections!' She put her fingers on his lips. "'Not a word. I can't stand this house a moment longer.' They slipped quietly out of the front door into the cold air which tasted of new-fallen snow. A clear arc of blue and rose color painted the west over the buried town. When they reached the rounded breast of the hill— almost bare mrs forster stood still and drew in deep breaths looking down over the drifted meadows and the stiff blue poplars oh but it is bleak she murmured suppose we shall have to stay here all next winter too and the next what will become of me neil there was fear unmistakable fright in her voice you see there is nothing for me to do i get no exercise I don't skate. We didn't in California, and my ankles are weak. I've always danced in the winter. There's plenty of dancing at Colorado Springs. You wouldn't believe how I miss it. I shall dance till I'm eighty. I'll be the waltzing grandmother. It's good for me. I need it." They plunged down into the drifts and did not stop again till they reached the wooden bridge. See, even the creek is frozen. I thought running water never froze. How long will it be like this? Not long now. In a month you'll see the green begin in the marsh and run over the meadows. It's lovely over here in the spring. And you'll be able to get out tomorrow, Mrs. Forrester. The clouds are thinning. Look, there's the new moon. She turned. Oh, I saw it over the wrong shoulder. No, you didn't. You saw it over mine. She sighed and took his arm. My dear boy, your shoulders aren't broad enough! Instantly, before his eyes rose, the image of a pair of shoulders that were very broad, objectionably broad, clad in a frogged overcoat with an astrakhan collar. The intrusion of this third person annoyed him as they went slowly back up the hill. Curiously enough, it was as Captain Forrester's wife that she most interested Neil, and it was in her relation to her husband— that he most admired her. Given her other charming attributes, her comprehension of a man like the railroad builder, her loyalty to him, stamped her more than anything else. That, he felt, was quality, something that could never become worn or shabby, steel of Damascus. His admiration for Mrs. Forrester went back to that, just as, he felt, she herself went back to it. He rather liked the stories, even the spiteful ones about the gay life she led in Colorado, and the young men she kept dangling about her every winter. He sometimes thought of the life she might have been living ever since he had known her, and the one she had chosen to live. From that disparity, he believed, came the subtlest thrill of her fascination. She mocked outrageously at the proprieties she observed, and inherited the magic of contradictions. End of Part 1 Chapter 6 Recording by Felicia Wang